Welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast, where all things football are injected right to your veins. With your hosts, Matt Donnelly, Calvin Shoemake, and Jeff Mueller. Simper Fi, we are joined today by an awesome guest. What is up and welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Spotlight Series. We have another exciting uh, day where we're going to talk about a team that's in the news a lot. A lot of interesting things going on with the New Orleans Saints every day. Uh, I listen to this guy talk about the New Orleans Saints with the Cajun Cannon. Very excited to have him on. Um, Christian, I think uh, a lot of people... Maybe from around that don't necessarily follow the Saints. Maybe they don't. They haven't had an upfront seat to kind of listen and watch and see. You know the big shoes that you've you've filled in your role, where you know the Buddy D's and all these you know guys in the world. But uh, really excited to have you on. Uh, can you take just a second and let everybody know how they could tune in and find your work? Sure. Yeah. Pleasure to be on the show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Christian Garrick um, with a K. Um, and then you tune in WWO uh, radio, terrestrial radio, uh, on 870 AM, 105.3 FM, and also radio.com. And you can also listen to WWL.com if you want to hear the show, me and the Cajun Ken and Bobby Bear Sports Talk, weekdays, 4 to 8 p.m. Very cool. So I'm doing, you know, 32 of these. I've got, you know, every team, we've got about a quarter of the league that we've already done so far. Did some work on the Dolphins and the Texans last night. Obviously, quarterbacks. You know, being a big issue for most of those guys, but and we're going to certainly get into that with the New Orleans Saints. But I wanted to start off. I started off with a simplify. That's you know just an homage to you. You obviously start off every show that way, and you served in the military, so really appreciate your service to the country. It's my pleasure. Um, I'm rocking the Marines. I'm rocking the Marines uh, logo on right now. Uh, I'm pretty proud of that. Proud of that. Proud of just service in general. No matter the branch, Army, Navy, Air Force. My father was in the Army, career Army officer. My grandfather served in the Army in World War II. He actually lied about his age um, and, uh, and and went overseas. He, I think he was 16 when he was overseas. I can't imagine being on battlefields at 16 years old. I know I wasn't capable and ready ready for that at that age. But, um, yeah, it's an important thing for me. But thanks for your uh, your appreciation. Absolutely. My grandpa served in World War II as well, fought over there in Italy. And uh, same story, he lied about his age to get over there because he loved his country. And I think that we owe a enormous credit, debt of gratitude to those that served, just like yourself. Um, and I want to start with that because you come from a family, you know, and I was reading up a little bit. I know you're, you, you were, you call yourself an army brat. You were kind of all around, not only the country, but all around the world uh, living growing up. Uh, what was your fandom like? I guess growing up, were you attached to certain teams? Was it more certain players? Make no mistake about it. I was a Saints fan growing up. Um, you know, my both my parents are from New Orleans, born and raised. So, um, you know, they they taught me young at an early age. Hey, this is the team we pull for. Pull for. There's no other team. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up a Saints fan. Um, I always liked LSU baseball, and I had wanted. I had always dreamed of playing LSU, LSU baseball, um, but you know, I'm, a, I'm a short, fat guy, so uh, it's hard to do. 
when you're uh, when you're short. It's a game for for tall guys. Um, nonetheless, um, yeah, I've always grew up everything New Orleans. Even when my dad was stationed in Kentucky or wherever New York, uh, we would fly home frequently and uh, in fact go to a couple of Saints games. And my very first Saints game as a as a uh, kid was 1987, December 23rd. Uh, it was against the Cincinnati Bengals and. That was, at the time, ended up being the largest comeback in Saints history. They were down 24-3 to to Boomer Esiason and the Cincinnati Bengals um, at halftime. And then Bobby Aber actually got injured in that game. And Dave Wilson, the backup, engineered uh, the largest comeback at that time in the team's history. And they ended up winning 44-24. to It was an amazing second half, I remember, because there was snow flurries. I mean, it was cool as heck being uh, at, at the time. I think it was Riverfront. Yeah, Riverfront Stadium uh, in Cincinnati. We were stationed at Fort Knox. It was about a three-and-a-half-hour, four-hour drive to Cincinnati. So me and my dad hopped in the truck. We went over there, watched the game. and uh, But we would frequently go to Saints games. Um, you know, I, In fact, my junior year, we were uh, at Fort Knox, and uh, we were scheduled to come home for the opener. I can't remember who they were going to open that season with. Uh, but about – yeah, so that was a Sunday, the first Sunday in September, I think. Well, Thursday night – of that week I started feeling bad um, and my stomach was killing me come to find out I was having an appendicitis attack. So oh. I had my, I had my appendix removed that, that Friday. So we didn't end up making the trip. Um, so I was disappointed about that, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of rambling here, but yeah, we, we, we would pay. Remember the NFL Sunday ticket when it first started, I mean, mm-hmm. we were, we were, uh, we were on board with that from the very beginning. And actually my dad used to sneak me in at West point, New York, there was a, a sports bar about an hour outside of base that he would drive. To, we, would, we would go to, and, you know, it's a bar. And, you know, at, at I think I was probably 13, 14 at the time. You know, the, the owner uh, was trying to enforce the law, rightfully so, say, hey, you know, he can't come in. He's not, mm-hmm. he's underage. And my dad, I don't know how he talked him into it, but they ended up letting me uh, go in there. I remember it's called the Sports View. Uh, I don't know if it's still there. I heard it's still there. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, we used to go, we used to drive an hour uh, to go watch the Saints when we were, living in new york yeah no that's uh not relevant at all that's exactly what i want to hear so you you know you grew up a saints fan paid attention to the saints you know a lot of history with the team um but then you took another step i guess that most hoodad fans don't take and you began to want to pursue working with the team and you know through wwl and i you started off on the sidelines and i remember I believe that was during Hokey Gaijan was there. Is that right? I, I went to school yeah. with his daughters and knew, knew, knew Hokey a little bit. So um, I, I believe you were there with him, right? Yeah. Well, so I didn't start on the sidelines. I actually started at WWL as a producer, as the morning show producer. I don't know if you remember Bob Del Giorno, uh, but yeah. Bob Del Giorno, our, our former morning host. Um, and then, you know, I'd always, um, I was the guy that early on in my career that, you know, I was always there, even when I wasn't getting paid sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was the one, hey, so-and-so sick. Can you come in? Yeah, I'll come in. So anyway, um, I got an opportunity, a great opportunity. I'm so thankful for that opportunity in 2009 when um, my boss made me the, the Saints sideline reporter, and we all know what happened that year in 2009. The Saints would go on to win the Super Bowl that season. So it was a, it was a great start, and I'll tell you a little story. After uh, that season, after the Saints had won the Super Bowl, um, you know, and, and this was probably, yeah, uh, about four months after, um, you know, Jim Henderson calls me and, and we're, we're chatting, catching up. And, and, um, I think it was around mini camp, um, that year. And, um, 
him and him and uh, Hokey. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all watching practice together, uh, minicamp practice, and he they both said, "Now, don't get used to that." Okay, last year that's not how it goes every year, you know. Um, but it was really neat. It was a big thrill. Um, I got tons of stories about that Super Bowl uh, that you know I'll share with you if you want, um, or you know they'll go in a book one day. Yeah, no, that's great. I certainly, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear that. But I know one of the things that obviously we want to talk about is because we want to get into some of the offseason stuff. And, you know, 2006 started a brand new era for the New Orleans Saints. You talked about, you know, growing up a Saints fan and, you know, going back to the Tulane days and the you mentioned Bobby Hebert. I'll never forget Bobby Hebert coming in when I was like seven years old to uh, Covenant Country Club. And he just he came in there for lunch one day after, <laughs> and just you know was he just a magnanimous personality, just uh, you know the kind of guy you don't forget meeting, and nope. and I know you get to work with him every day, which is uh, which is awesome. Well, I'll I'll go back a step further. So I told you that we would come in town quite a bit when my um, my dad was on leave from the army, and uh, I think my grandmother passed away, and um, we'd come into New Orleans. And um, I made my dad take me to uh, the David Drive practice facility, right? Um, I was probably, this was in 87, so I was nine at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, over there on David Drive, you know, you could peek through the vines on the fence and, and watch practice. It wasn't, security wasn't nearly as tight as it is today. And uh, so I, we watched practice. We thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, they didn't have a gated place where the players parked their cars so you could you literally had access right up you know they'd come right out of the locker room right to their car so you could hang out in the parking lot and flag them down and so you know sam mills pat swilling morton anderson um uh, dalton hilliard and i was picking all these guys off and so my dad Mm -hmm. was like all right hey look you know it's getting late time to go and i was like i'm not going until i see bobby taught me bobby so uh, I had, you know, several football cards of Bobby Bears, And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so I waited, you know, my dad was trying to get me to go and I was like, I'm not leaving. So finally Bobby comes uh, hobbling out of the locker room. He's pretty banged up. He has his stack of VCR tapes. Remember VCR? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 The VCR tapes. Uh, and he's, you know, I w- went up to him and asked him for his autograph and he was as nice as can be. What you see out of Bobby is really who he is. Yeah, um, that's just that's just who he is. He's a, he's he's as friendly as can be. Um, so you know, sign sign the autographs. He was so cool. Um, you know, he he opened. Um, my dad was there. And he he gets in his car and he and he says, "Hey, come sit on the other side." Um, and so I was sitting in the passenger seat, and me and Bobby talked for like twenty minutes. Here I am, a nine year old kid, um, and he could have long since said goodbye and said, "Hey, I gotta go." But that's who Bobby is in a nutshell, just how how nice he is. But also, he doesn't know how to say no sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't know when to go, all right, hey, I have to be somewhere. Um, but, you know, he's, he's one of the most genuine individuals um, on the planet. And anybody that doesn't like Bobby is uh, something wrong with them. They're not they're not a good human as far as I'm concerned, because there's a lot, a lot to like about Bobby. And I know. Some Saints fans are still sore the fact that he went to Atlanta and played for the Falcons. Yep. But, you know, I think if we all asked ourselves the question of, hey, um, if the current employer that I'm with doesn't want to pay me anymore, well, I'm not going to quit doing that job. I'm just going to go find another employer that will pay me. 
Um, so uh, I, I got I got big love for big love for Bobby. There's several times where, you know, I I harken back and look at that day and go, man, I never thought I would be sharing a radio show with the, with my boyhood idol. You know, right? It's pretty, it's pretty neat. It is really neat, and uh, you know, the last 14, 15 years have been really exciting for uh, Saints fans and for the Saints organization, and I'm sure for for your show. So. Let's talk a little bit about the Drew Brees era, and I guess I'll just I'll start the question like this. I guess if this is the end, can you put into perspective the Saints fans and the Saints organization what he's meant the last 14, 15 years? He's meant everything. I mean, he's look what he's done in New Orleans. Look what he's done for New Orleans, um, both off the field and on. Um, I think that you know some uh, Saints fans that are ungrateful that are ushering him out the door. You know, they don't remember the days of Billy Joe Tolliver. Billy Joe Hobart, Danny Werfel. Mm-hmm. They don't remember those days, the Ditka years. Um, he, he was the first franchise quarterback this this team has ever had. And I say that, and that's not disrespectful to Archie Manning, but Archie, you know, they Archie didn't have enough tools around him. Um, so, you know, he's uh, he's been special. It's, and, and I hope that um, Saints fans – I know that Saints fans are going to grow to appreciate just how good he, he was – because we're about to experience life after Drew Brees, I think. And um, if you ask me, if I'm being honest, it's it's one that is uh, tepid waters. We don't know. Um, we don't know. We, we'd like to think that Taysom Hill's going to be good. We'd like to think that maybe Jameis Winston can resurrect his career. But to think that you're going to have a quarterback that gets to Drew's level uh, immediately after he retires is – and it's really difficult. I mean, the Packers have done it. For, you know, they were very fortunate from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. The 49ers were very fortunate uh, with Joe Montana and Steve Young. But those are very, very uh, isolated cases where that stuff can happen. So I, I don't see it happening uh, here. I, I hope it does. I hope Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston ends up being uh, phenomenal. Uh, I just I just know how hard that position is to play. Uh, and, and I think that when, you know, Drew does indeed call it a career. I think that fans that were rushing him out the door are going to be longing for the days of his return. Yeah, I think you're 100% right on that. But So let me ask you, the fact that he is taking a little bit of time, and obviously take all the time that you need. I mean, that's just, you've he's done enough for the organization and all that that nobody should be rushing him. But does the fact that he's taking a little time tell you that there is at least a some sort of percentage chance that he comes back and is under center week one next year? Well, well there's always a chance, right? I mean, um, but if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say about 90% chance he retires. I, I, I think a couple of things factor in here. Last year, he didn't have the job at NBC waiting on him, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think at some point, he's going to look at, I've missed nine games over the last two years due to injuries. Does he really want to rehab again? You know, that, that gets old on players. It's not so much about their skill set diminishing. They just get tired of getting beat up. Look at Andrew Luck. Um, you know, he he retired because he was tired of getting beat up, not because he couldn't play, and he's young. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm dealing with a little bit of a – allergy stuff i actually went and got uh tested yesterday it was negative thankfully but um just bothered by allergies so um yeah you know I, I just think that that's a factor when you know you start having the conversation about he's in his 40s he's he's had injuries in back-to-back years plus man 
when you're when you're an NBC studio analyst, you work one day a week. It's a lot of time to spend with your kids, and I know being a father is very very important to Drew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of those pictures of him and Tom Brady after the game, you know, yeah. with his kids, and you know, I loved the little girl who just couldn't be bothered with the fact that it, Brady was right there just doing cartwheels on the field. That was <laughs> that was just fantastic. Um, but let's talk about life after Drew Brees then, because it's not just hey, Drew is gone and like, okay, let's go pick out a new quarterback. There's a lot of other things to consider here. And one of them being obviously the cap. Now, Mickey Loomis, maybe more than anybody, seems to be a wizard at dealing with the cap, but he's really got his work cut out for him this year being, what, about $100 million over the cap? Projected? $112, $112 million projected to be over the cap. Look, this Saints team and this organization is already starting to look different. When, I, when you talk about the assistant coaches that have now gone on to be head coaches, the front office looks different without Terry Fontenot now in Atlanta. This roster is going to look significantly different next year. Um, being that far over the cap, they're going to have to say goodbye to some good players and some players they don't want to say goodbye to. Um, you're going to have a roster that's going to have a couple of stars on it, some really young players, drafted players, undrafted free agents, and that middle-of-the-road experienced veteran that's pricey, um, I don't know that that's, that's going to be affordable for them. So you're not going to have depth. And if you know anything about the National Football League, in order to make it to the playoffs and beyond and, and into the Super Bowl, you got to have really good depth. And a lot of it, the Saints have had that for the last four years. Um, they've won more games than anybody in the National Football League over that span in the regular season. Uh, but I, I just think this roster is going to look drastically different. Um, you know, the, we get calls every day. Oh, trade Mike Thomas. Well, you got to understand the economics of it. You know, you're going to eat dead money. You're going to eat some money on that. And it's always about what I try to explain to fans is when you're looking to move somebody, whether it's trading them or cutting them, you got to weigh the dead money versus the cap savings. You know, if the cap savings is higher than the dead money, then yeah, that's the time to do it. For example, Jared Cook, you're going to eat about $2 million. You would save nine. Uh, mm -hmm. If you cut him. So that's an obvious one that you look at and say, yeah, they're probably going to release. Or if they can move them in a trade. They will. But I don't think there's going to be much of a market for Jared Cook. Um, so, you know, they're going to they're going to have their work cut out for him. Mickey and Kai Harley, Mickey Loomis and Kai Harley are our uh, salary cap wizards, as you mentioned. Uh, they can restructure some contracts, kick the can down the road when, when the cap is projected to be better in 2022 and 2023. Uh, but they got to face reality this year. Um, so I think if I'm being completely honest with you and and uh, the listeners, um, I think that, you know, you might have some a lean year or two before you can uh, retool that roster the way it was the past four years. Uh, I want to come right back to the um, uh, you, you mentioned the coaching staff, but just uh, to stick on quarterback for just a second, just a two part question. If you had to say who you thought the Saints quarterback was going to be next year, who would it be? And with your pulse your finger on the pulse of the Houdat nation. Who do you think they would want the quarterback to be next year? Uh, it's mixed. I mean, someone Jameis, someone Taysom. Um, I think they both have some good upside and they also have some downside. I think, I think Taysom Hill holds the ball too much. He was sacked 13 times in four games, 13 in four mm. games. And that, that was behind an offensive line. That's very good. That's a very good offensive line. He was playing behind. So he holds the ball a little bit too much. That interception against Chicago in the playoffs, uh, not interception that fumble, um, that was because he, he didn't throw with anticipation. 
Jameis Winston comes with a history. He threw for 5,000 yards, but he also threw 30 interceptions and 33 touchdowns. Uh, you'd like to see that number go down. You would think that under Sean Payton's system, it probably would because it's a different system. The old the old Bruce Arians uh, adage, adage of, um, you know, no risk it, no biscuit. That's not, that's not the case here in New Orleans with this offense. And Sean Payton is masterful at designing offenses around players' strengths. What do they do well? Mm-hmm. He talks about that all the time. Um, and he, and he, he's really good at doing that. If they're not strong at something, he's not going to ask them to do it. Um, so I think that's the key to most – well, that's the key to life, to be honest with you. you know, right. Play to your strengths. And then, um, you know, try to marginalize or, or hide your weaknesses and play to your strengths as much as possible. Uh, so to answer your question, I think it it's going to be an open competition. I wouldn't be surprised – they're sitting there at 28 and a quarterback in college, maybe Mac Jones is uh, floating around at 21, 22. I think that would be intriguing. And and I think that might entice them to move up. I think if they do move up in the draft in the first round in particular, they're targeting a quarterback. Well, my, my co-host normally is on with me would love that. He's an Alabama fan, loves Mac Jones, thinks Mac Jones is actually even a better thrower than Tua was. Uh, I guess all he that's is. yet he to is. be seen. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, he is. I do. I do. Now, yeah, um, is. yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, they're in the, you know, that, the, the 20s, so yeah, certainly the draft would be a possibility. Is Jameis Winston realistic? Because with the cap situation, can we even afford to bring him back if somebody like Denver or Chicago or somebody like that goes after him hard. Well, I think what you have to watch for, honestly, the team to watch for is the Detroit Lions. Who they just hire as their head coach, Dan Campbell, right? Right. Um, right here from the, with off the Saints staff, and then you know there's some familiarity there. All of a sudden, he shows up, and they're willing to part ways with with uh, Matt Ryan. So that tells you, I think, a little bit that he feels like he can find his quarterback cheaper uh, and younger. Jameis is younger. And um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they make a play for for Jameis Winston. Uh, one that you know they know the Saints don't have a lot of money, um, so they can they don't have to jack that salary up too high. But I think the price tag, the sweet spot for the Saints, uh, is you know if he's getting if his base salary, I'm talking about Jameis Winston's right around mm-hmm. eight to ten million dollars a year. I think that's that's about the right price. But you know Detroit comes in and wants to offer him twelve, thirteen a year. I think it's hard for the Saints to justify that, and that's why I think. Uh, they very well could end up drafting a quarterback, regardless of Jameis Winston signs, because you're not going to commit to him long term. You know, it might be a two year deal, and then you, you know, quarterbacks are going to if he if he if he plays well, he he can go back to them and say, hey, I want to redo this deal. Uh, it might be as long as a three year deal. They're not going four or five years with him, um, and that's why I still think that you know, like I said, they're going to draft they're going to draft a quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, and I mean, even if it is a guy like Mac Jones, and if you don't feel like he's ready day one, I mean, I guess you are going to still have Taysom Hill. Uh, so if you needed a stopgap, if nothing else, he could certainly be that. I know Sean Payton has been very, um, I, I don't know, aggressive maybe over the last couple of years and talking about uh, about Hill. He's compared him to Steve Young at times that I've seen, which is obviously, you know, pretty high, maybe um Super- that raised some eyebrows. That raised some eyebrows. Yeah, and so he must see something there. And we know that he's a good evaluator. We know he knows what he's talking about when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, what was the the decision this year to go with Hill instead of Winston when Breeze went down? What What do you think? I guess was um, was going on behind the scenes with that. 
Well, some people are speculating that he did that intentionally to keep uh, Jameis Winston's value down. That's That couldn't be anything further from the truth. Uh, you don't do that at the risk of what's best for your football team. Hmm. Um, and what was best for the football team, they felt like, is Taysom Hill being quarterback. And I think some of that had to do with the fact that Jameis is still was still unfamiliar with the offense. There was no real training camp. There was no real uh, preseason games. So I think it was a they trusted Taysom Hill a little bit more, having been familiar with the system. Um, and I think they wanted to see, hey, let you know, let's find out if Taysom is um, the, the eventual successor. You can look at Jameis because he's he's got years on tape, right? So you can look at some of the things and know, get a good idea about him as as your starter. And then you got to do the same thing with with Taysom, and then the opportunity presented itself. I think that's all what went into it. <laughs> you, um, uh, I know you mentioned that you're not really a fantasy football guy, and that's you know a lot of our listeners are more in the <laughs> fantasy football and like particularly the dynasty fantasy football. You know you why? Have- you know why? You know why? Because I can never remember to set my doggone lineup, um, <laughs> and, and, and and I like it. I think it's great for the sport. Um, I've played it, but you know. I, I'm not qualified to sit here and say, yo, start him, sit him, go grab him. You know, I'm just, uh, that's not, that's not where my cup of tea is. or That's not where my forte is. Yeah. But you know the saying, so I guess, let me ask you this. I know during that time where Taysom Hill was the the starter, there was a lot of hand wringing over Alvin Kamara's usage and he wasn't catching as many passes. Obviously Kamara had a great year, um, but some of his stats dipped with Taysom Hill. Do you think, <laughs> Do you think that was part of the game plan? I know he was a little bit banged up during that time as well. Um, and if Taysom Hill does be, become the starter, do you think Alvin Kamara is still set up to be kind of the guy that the Saints would lean on in that situation? I would invite fans to look at um, each game with the Saints, no matter who's the quarterback, um, is a different game plan. And, it, it, you know, Alvin Kamara can be used as a decoy. Um, Taysom Hill uh, presents things that, that Drew doesn't in a running game. And his his touches went down, Kamara, I'm talking about, because when you run your quarterback, you know, traditionally when you turn around and hand the ball off, you're, you're playing basically uh, 11 on 10. But when you're playing, uh, when you run your quarterback on a design, design sweep or bootleg or whatever, you're now 11 on 11. So I think that was attractive to the saints in that regard, uh, just over that span. And you got to remember, you know, Alan Kamara was banged up last year. So they, the idea was, Hey, let's try to keep him fresh for the postseason as well. Let's not wear him down a whole heck of a lot uh, early in the season. Remember he was getting a lot of touches. Um, so I just think that, you know, they're mindful of that. Uh, but they also, they, one of the things about Sean Payton and this organization, what they've been very good about um, over the, over the time is, um, being able to identify each game is going to take on a life of its own. And there's no set way of, Hey, this is how we're going to have to do it. Um, they're, they're pretty fluid in their adjustments. Now they know certain things um, about, Hey, if we do this, we have a good chance of winning. If this happens, we have a good chance uh, of winning, et cetera. So um, I think that, you know, that's what they've been very good at, but you know, um, as far as his Alvin Kamara's touches in the future, I think, you know, he just signed a big contract prior to the mm-hmm. season, so he's very much in the plans. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about a wide receiver? Obviously, you know, you mentioned fans being a little frustrated with Michael Thomas. I think some of that maybe goes back to, you know, maybe some of the social media posts, things like that. Uh, man, we live in such a different world right now where some of that stuff comes out. And, you know, I'm not sure some of the athletes of old we would have liked either had we been able to read their thoughts uh, kind of on constant loop. Um, he's He's gotten a lot of flack for that, but I mean, battled through a lot of injuries this year and showed a lot of toughness. Um, uh, what, what do you? Th I mean, like, like you said, I don't think Michael Thomas is going anywhere. Uh, do you think he gets a chance to bounce back and have another great season next year? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest, I think, pros to keeping Mike Thomas is if if you're introducing a new quarterback, well, doesn't that quarterback get better with Mike Thomas on the field? Hmm. I mean, it's an easier transition. It's not like you're bringing in Aaron Rodgers or 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 or, or um, Drew comes back where you know he can function. He can function without uh, Mike Thomas. Ideally, you want to have Mike Thomas on the field no matter who the quarterback is. But he makes that transition to a new quarterback uh, a lot easier, and it's a he's a security blanket of sorts. So aside from the price tag that you, we talked about earlier of moving him, um, I think Mike Thomas is in for a good rebound next year. He's going to have offseason surgery. Um, on two two different offseason surgeries, so I think he rehabs that well. If he rehabs that well, I think he's going to be in for a big a big year. Is Jared Cook a Saint next year? No, no. Oh, it's too easy. Do the math. Um, you know, again, his his, his base salary is eleven million dollars. Um, they save nine million dollars and they eat two million dollars. It's basic economics. That's salary cap one on one. Anytime the savings is higher than the, than the. Uh, than the dead money, then you go ahead and make that move, or you ask them to restructure, which I don't think they're going to do either. I think they signed Jared Cook on a three-year deal with the intention to probably move on from him after year two. I think he wasn't on the same page at times with, with Drew this year, which was a little baffling. They drafted Adam Troutman. So um, when they start drafting guys that are younger than you at the same position, it's telling you, hey, they're, they're going to be moving on soon. Have you heard much praise for Troutman? Uh, he came on a little bit at the end of the year, and uh, if, in a, an expanded role, do you think he could really produce for us? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, he's going to get some opportunities, um, but you know, I, he was a quarterback in high school, so the tight end position is still relatively new to him. Um, he played at Dayton too. I mean, that, hats off to him for being able to make that transition from Dayton um, all, all the way to the National Football League. I, I think, I think the Saints have hit on um, Adam Troutman. It's just. Remember, Jimmy Graham wasn't an instant superstar in 2010 when they drafted him. He didn't really emerge until the 2011-2012 season. Yeah, no, and that's uh, the tight end position certainly seems to take a little bit of time to you know start producing a lot of numbers in the passing game, things like that. It's a lot to learn. A lot of, lot, lot of, you got to be able to block a defensive end and uh, get separation from a DB. That's that's not exactly easy to do both those things. So, I really appreciate you coming on with me. It's it's been a blast. I know we got. We're right at the 30-minute mark. I uh, can't say enough about uh, just my appreciation for you taking your time, talking Saints with me. Look forward to listening to your show. Anything else you want to plug or tell anybody before you go? No, I mean, look, um, just want to thank the, uh, the men and women that serve this country. Um, that's pretty much it. And I, I'm, I'm glad you invited me on your show. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to do that. I'm, I'm really humbled when anybody ever really reaches out to me and, and wants me to share um, – my opinion on on the Saints in particular, uh, sports in general, just because I still can't believe I get paid to do this. So uh, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. 
Well, for Christian, for the Dynasty Vipers, for Matt, my normal uh, co-host, I know you said you got your uh, military shirt. I got my Steve Gleason shirt on, uh, jersey on. So hey, that's the best shirts. one. Yeah, that's Rest right. Well. <laughs> and uh, so with that, we're gone. All right, take care.